So Nigel's going to come and share reflections on that passage from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And it would be good to pray for him and for ourselves as he does that. So let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that out of your grace it's possible for us to give. And we pray for Nigel this morning that as he speaks to us on the basis of this letter from Paul to the church at Corinth, so you will give him your words and that you will open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and minds to hear you speaking to us. We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to rest upon him and upon each one of us this morning, that we may understand more fully the greatness of your love for us and the vocation to which you call each of us and us as your body here in the grace of giving. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's uh, lovely to be with you this morning. Uh, I hope that given the extra hour we've had and maybe enjoyed if if we manage to sleep a bit longer, uh, it won't mean that we're all wishing we were home at lunch before the service ends because it means lunch will naturally have been delayed as far as our bodies are concerned. Anyway, as we've been discovering in our series on stewardship, what a wonderful God we know and worship and how richly he provides for us. A brief reminder, in our first week, uh, we were told that God has given us a world to enjoy and to care for. And we can be grateful for organisations such as Arosha, that Christian environmental charity that we support, who encourage us to care for our world. And please have a look at their website, details in the, in the uh, leaflet here, if you haven't already investigated what they do, not only in the UK, but in 19 countries around the world. And the second week, we were reminded that God has given us time to spend with family and friends, with community, and in the workplace, as well as with him alone in prayer and Bible study, and as we gather together in collective worship, enjoying his company as he enjoys ours. And we need to spend our time wisely, making the most of every opportunity and encounter, and giving our full attention to those we meet. And then last week we were reminded that God has given us all varied gifts and talents to be used in all the places that we find ourselves Unfortunately, our gifts are very different, but they're all essential. And we need to discover and use them, we were reminded. And perhaps even more, we need to continue to recognise and encourage their use in other people for the benefit of all. And now today and next week, we're going to have a look at the question of our financial resources, which can be a blessing and a curse, something which we can control or which can control us as I discover in my work in Debt Advice. And Jesus recognised the issues and the potential conflict regarding money. And here are just a few words from Matthew 6. And Jesus actually spoke about money more than anything else he chose to speak about. He said, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures 
in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And a bit later he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now money itself is neutral. And one of the most misquoted verses in scripture is when people say money is the root of all evil. But what Paul actually wrote to Timothy was, the love of money is the root of all evil. Because it's all about our attitude and our priorities, as Jesus was so clear about. Mm, Money. Well, a little boy once wanted £100 very badly. And he prayed about it for a week, but nothing happened. So then he decided to write a letter to God requesting £100. When the post office received the letter addressed to God, UK, they decided to send it to the Prime Minister. And the Prime Minister was so impressed, touched and slightly amused, that he instructed his secretary to send the little boy a £10 note. The Prime Minister thought this would appear to be a lot of money for the little boy. The boy was delighted with the £10 note he received, and he sat down to write a thank you note to God. Dear God, he said, thank you very much for sending the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you sent it through number 10 Downing Street. And as usual, they took most of it. (laughs) Well, we all have our issues with the tax man, I'm sure. And in these days of welfare discussions, of reforms, it's a serious matter in terms of what we contribute to. But today and next week, we're going to look at a section of Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, rather than specifically at any of Jesus' teaching on money. And the reason for this is that within this, there are some concrete examples of how the early Christians were encouraged to approach this issue of giving to others. So what about the context of this letter, briefly? A very difficult letter for Paul to write. And here is a picture of the Mediterranean area. Down on the bottom right, you'll see Jerusalem, where the church began. And this is a, the arrows are simply showing one of Paul's many journeys going out into Asia and Macedonia and Greece and some of the countries that are going to be referred to in this letter. And in this close-up, we can see that Paul is writing to the Corinthians there towards the foot of Greece. And it's AD 57. And Paul's renewing contact with a church that he'd actually founded about AD 50 to 52 during an 18-month visit to Corinth. He then left and travelled 300 miles to work at Ephesus, which is there on the map in present-day Turkey. But unfortunately, in the meantime... The Corinthian church had been led astray. A few, in inverted commas, super apostles had turned up, spread some false teaching, and Paul needed to make a painful visit, as he described it to them in AD 55, to try and put things right, but he was not well received. Fortunately, by AD 57, his friend Titus came from Corinth and went up to Macedonia, where Paul was working at that time. The area of Macedonia covers the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica, And Titus came to say that his relationship with the Corinthians was now on the mend. And Paul could write to encourage them once again. And so, in that second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, Paul suddenly starts talking in verse 1 about the grace 
that God has given to the Macedonian churches with whom he was working. Now this region had been suffering from civil war and that unrest had meant the people there were being very harshly treated by the Roman authorities and life was far from easy either in material or in security terms. But nevertheless these people were exhibiting amazing generosity towards the Christians in Jerusalem. So why was this? Because word had reached them that the Christians in Jerusalem had been badly hit by famine. And many of the Jews who had become Christians had been disowned by their families. They were under real pressure looking after the widows and the orphans in their community. And what was their response to this? In the midst of a very severe trial, Paul wrote, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And it struck me that as we consider our partnership with Christians working around the world, we see them working in similar situations. Desiree and Claudeline in Goma, Democratic Republic of Congo, a place that has been torn apart by civil war, striving to work with those who are deprived and in difficulty there. Those in Uzumateli, Nairobi, Kenya, experiencing extreme poverty and seeking to help children and other people in those slums. Those seeking to help the poverty-stricken in Romania. Those trying to help widows, both in Goma and in Uzumateli, by providing opportunities for training which will lead to employment. Those working with orphans in both of those places. And how often we notice that it's often the poorest communities in the developing world who demonstrate the greatest generosities, sometimes insisting that visitors eat the only meat available for the family because visitors are seen as being so important. These Macedonians, wrote Paul, pleaded with us urgently for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. For them, giving was a privilege, not a duty. An opportunity to demonstrate solidarity with Christians elsewhere, not a legalistic requirement or a way of solving their consciences. So what principles might we learn that led them to this decision? Well, Paul said of this group of people, having given themselves first of all to the Lord, they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. And that giving themselves to us meant giving themselves to this project to help the people in Jerusalem that we put our minds to. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he answered, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and then love your neighbour as yourself. Our giving will always in some way reflect our priorities. Our love for God can inspire in us a desire to love and serve others in a variety of ways with our time, our talents and also our giving. So what might the problems have been for the Corinthians receiving this message? asking them to learn from these Macedonian churches. Well, the Corinthians, by and large, were a fairly headstrong bunch. They were self-confident Christians, super spiritual, largely middle class, and Gentiles, Greek speakers immersed in Greek culture, and possibly slightly resentful of Paul the Jew giving them instructions. They might also, therefore, have been a bit resentful of funding Jews in Jerusalem. 
even if they were followers of Christ. However, Paul, who'd been chosen and appointed by God as an apostle to the Gentiles, was keen to emphasize how important it was that the Gentiles recognize the debt they owed to the Jews, without whom they'd never have received the good news of Jesus. For Paul, the unity of the Christian family, the interdependence of the Christian family, was absolutely critical. And I think it's very touching when we receive information from our partners in Goma and Uzumatele and elsewhere to know that they're praying for us. And they make requests to say, how can we pray for you in Campbell and know what's going on, just as you support us? And we know they're grateful for the gifts that are received because they also send us financial statements explaining how the money we send has been spent because that accountability is so important if we are to give with confidence. And so if these Macedonians who were Gentiles could overcome scruples about giving to the poor, why couldn't the Corinthians do that as well? And just as a little dig, I think, in verse 7, Paul adds this, just as you excel in everything, you think you're great in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Flattery will sometimes get you quite a long way when you're trying to get your message across. But why does Paul refer then to this grace of giving? As grace is normally used to refer to the undeserved love of God, showered on us as a free gift. And Paul extends it to teach that our response to receiving God's grace should be to show generosity to others. Not a command, but a demonstration of the sincerity of our love. The Macedonians have managed it. Paul encourages the Corinthians to follow suit. And in case they're still not convinced... Paul goes back and uses the example of Jesus himself. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus' gracious self-giving resulted in salvation and new life for us. And this should be the model for our own giving, which will likewise put resources at God's disposal for the extension of his kingdom through the spread of the gospel and the support of those in need. Now we've referred to many of our overseas partners already in the service. We might add the shoeboxes from Samaritan's Purse to that list. And we're also supporting work in this country as well. The Salvation Army, which is the largest non-governmental welfare organisation in this country. The Children's Society, Methodist Homes for the Aged. And it's clear in verse 6 that under Paul's guidance... And through the work of Titus, his fellow worker, the Corinthians had started to put some money aside. And Paul encourages them to allow their eager willingness to start to be matched by completion. And just as an aside, it is very important to realise that when Paul was keen that people gave, that that giving should not mean that people find themselves in need. In two verses, 11 and 12, Paul says, your giving should be according to your means. Your giving should be according to what one has. There is no way, Paul points out, that in any way people's givings might mean they do not have enough. And Paul looks to the example 
of what happened when the people of Israel were traveling from Egypt to the promised land. And God provided the manna, which meant everybody had enough. Not too much, but not too little. And Paul also pointed out that in the future roles might be reversed. And that perhaps one day the Jerusalem Christians might help the Corinthians in some way. And how did Paul perhaps suggest in a practical way the Corinthians might go about this giving? Well, at the end of his previous letter, the first letter of the Corinthians in chapter 16, Paul said this, and this was relating to this collection. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now more will be said next week about how we might decide what to give and how we give it. But perhaps in the coming week we can reflect on how intentional we are about organising our giving in the light of our income. In order to support the ministry we've committed ourselves to here. Because Paul was encouraging mature, regular givers as a sign of commitment and response to God's grace. Not one-off givers in response to a sudden disaster appeal although that might happen occasionally as well. So it's important that we weigh up carefully the decisions we make about our giving and that we complete what we've started. We've probably all got some uncompleted projects in our lives, uh, maybe a half-decorated room. This does not count for people who've just moved house in the last fortnight. Maybe a partially revamped garden, maybe a hobby we've begun and not quite managed to see it to its conclusion. In our giving to projects overseas, we need to maintain our support for people who depend on us so that what they are starting doesn't become something which they are unable to finish. And so in practical terms, when we give to the church, we're primarily giving to support the ministry which we believe God has called us to here in Camborne and the surrounding area and further afield. Because this is God's kingdom work. It relies on our giving as explained in the mission and ministry uh, leaflets sent out to all members before the church meeting at the beginning of the month. I hope you'll receive that and haven't deleted it. If you need some further copies, you could be sent out again. There may be some paper copies around. We need to cover the costs that we incur here. The cost of our building, maintenance and running costs. The cost of our staff team, That's if we want to continue and develop our work with children and young people, if we want to look after and clean the building, if we want to provide administrative support for all that we do. When we give, we have actually committed to the church to give 10% to charity and overseas mission. That means that for every £10 we give to the church, immediately £1 is going to go to one of these projects that we've been talking about in the mission update leaflet here because that's what when the church was founded long before Linda and I came was the commitment that was decided that we do now our gift day next Sunday is an opportunity for us to contribute further towards the cost of our ongoing ministry here in this current year because part of our budget is the fact that we assume that there will be some people who will give on that gift day in addition to regular giving now we're truly grateful to all who give regularly according to their means, and in some cases beyond that. And while considering whether or not it's possible or appropriate for us to contribute in a special way next week, 
Please continue to pray for the Church Council and all those involved in considering our financial situation this year and our budget for 2016. Please remember that if by any chance you pay tax to the government and you don't yet use gift aid, then please use the envelopes on the trolley because for every £8 you give, that will become £10 once you've signed that gift aid form. So in conclusion, Paul was talking to the Corinthians using the example of the Macedonians to seek willing and spontaneous giving as a response to God's love for us. A desire for participation is the key here. As we note that the Macedonians were keen to share as partners in this service to the saints. If we give to something, we'll want to know about it. We'll want to be involved. We'll want to take an interest. We'll want to ask questions of the people involved in those particular ministries to say, how's it going in your youth work, children's work, overseas work, food bank? Because we've invested in it. And as we see the clear and compelling need to join in the work of God, of what he's already doing locally and overseas, may our motivation be grace and the desire to participate in the gracious giving of God. Amen.